following message is from the 2023 Leaders Summit in Louisville, Kentucky. For more information on Harbor Network, please visit www.harbornetwork.com. Well, we've had the call to worship. We've had the lament this morning, and now is the time for the giving and the passing of peace. Now, you do this at some level. In your church, I'm fairly certain you have that time of the passing of peace when you shake one another's hands, and all of the introverts in the church wonder if it's really worth it to be a Christian or not, and all the extroverts in the church get really excited. Okay, we have those times. That's this time of welcome or this passing of the peace that we have. And when I think of passing of the peace, as I tell in the book, There are times when I reflect back on a particular passing of the peace, the peace wasn't really passed in a church that I served. I was pastor of this tiny church, around 40 people in a very small town in rural Missouri. There was socioeconomic diversity in that town. There was generational diversity, but there was no ethnic or cultural diversity. The most cultural diversity that you had is certain houses had different house rules of card games. That was the cultural diversity of this town. Everybody was white in the town, and I was standing up one Sunday, went up to the pulpit and looked out over this crowd of 40 or so people, and there was an African-American couple that were sitting about two-thirds of the way back to my right in this congregation. I was excited about that. I was happy about that. And during the time of welcome, I went to try to, to tell, talk to them, and my goal was I wanted them to, to come to my, with my wife and I to dinner, something like that. I was going to try to, and, and somebody stopped me on the way, and, they, and bef- the welcome time was over before I had time to get back there to them. But I saw a couple of the men of the church talking to them, and so I thought, I'll, I'll talk to them at the end. And at the end, during the invitation, they knelt at their pew and prayed during the invitation. And then I prayed, and when I looked up, they were already gone. And I tried to find out what had happened during this time. And what I found out was that the two men of the church that I thought were welcoming them had told them that they could stay for this service, but they needed to find a church for their kind of people and pointed them to another church about 15, 20 miles away. They stayed for the service, but they slipped out and I never found them. I never found where they went. I never found what happened to them. The church, I suddenly discovered, did not see this issue as a problem in the congregation, and it just ripped me to pieces in this. My joy was so short-lived in that, and for many, many years, I lived with a whole lot of just anger and really a self-righteousness, if I'm honest about that particular. But now, now it's sadness that I feel. It's sadness because of what that church missed, but also, and even I was convicted as this anew as I was preparing the sermon even. And that was, I was convicted of how for me even, in that moment, there were so many mixed motives that were going on. But God is so good. God is so good. God is so good because even in our failures, even in our failures, he works through those. And I can honestly say that the road that led me here started there. With all those mixed motives, with all those painful things that happened, with all that whole set of events, it started there. God worked through that. And he works his goodwill in spite of our many failures. And here's what I've realized in the years between then and now is that how well we welcome those that are different reveals how much we really understand the power of God among us. 
how well you welcome those that are different shows how well you really understand the power of the gospel among you. Because see, the cross did not only purchase our vertical peace with God, praise God. If that's all God had done on the cross through Jesus Christ is to purchase our vertical relationship with him, that would have been wonderful. That would have been enough. But do you realize that what he purchased and what he promised was not only our vertical relationship with him, but our horizontal relationships with one another, our cosmic relationships with his creation. He promises he will make that new too. He is a good God. He is a good God. And that horizontal peace that he has purchased is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of welcome. Hear that. It's not merely the absence of conflict. It is the presence of welcome. And when we welcome one another as people who are different from one another, when we do that, it proves the power of the message that we profess. Now, this is something the early church understood well. We could go back to the second century to a man who was named Justin the philosopher. And here's what he said as part of his defense of the truthfulness of the gospel. He said, we who once despised and destroyed each other and refused to share anything in common with those who were different from us, who were not of the same tribe due to differing customs, now live in common with one another. That was his, one of his evidences that the gospel was true is that people who had been different ethnically in terms of their culture, that they now live together. This was an apologetic for the truthfulness of God's word, but that's not just in the centuries after the New Testament. It's in the New Testament itself. If we look at James chapter 2, can you turn to James chapter 2 with me? Let's stand together as we read God's word. These are the words of the Holy Spirit spoken through our brother James, the half-brother of Jesus according to the flesh, our brother according to the spirit. In the first couple of decades of Christianity, hear this James chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism or partiality as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor or partiality on the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say, sit here in this good place, and yet you say to that poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and you have become judges with evil thoughts? Oh, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you, you've dishonored the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you? drag you into the courts. Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, let your truth be known this evening. The truth that we want to hear 
and the truths that we don't, the truths that hurt, let us hear them all. Let us rejoice in them and let your truth, your word, you be remembered and known above all. In your name we pray. This term, this translated partiality or favoritism, this is a word that Christians actually coined. Christians made up this word that's translated partiality or favoritism. They did it by taking two words that are in the Greek translation of the Old Testament and putting them together. And it means, one of the ways we could just say what it means is it means to receive the face of someone. That's what it means, partiality or favoritism. Receive the face of someone. We see it used in Deuteronomy 1, 17, where it says there that you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall not receive the face of someone. What it's getting at right there is when we rank people according to their appearance or according to their benefit. That's what it means. Partiality is to rank people according to their appearance to me or their benefit for me is what it's trying to communicate there. And this is not a minor issue. You see that in chapter two, verse one. It says in chapter two, verse one, that this has to do with how you are holding on to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is truly a gospel issue. It is an implication of the gospel, the way that you engage people. This has to do with how you hold your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this point is not only about the rich and the poor, though that's what's in this text. It's a principle of partiality that Christians are to go to war against. That's what it's about. It's a principle it's a principle that applies not only to rich and to poor, it applies to ethnicity, it applies to culture, it applies to generations. Anything that ranks people according to the appearance we see or to the benefit they bring. And it says, when we do that, have you not become judges with evil thoughts? Oh, hear that. Judges with evil thoughts, because here's what we're doing when we do that. We are setting ourselves in the place of God. It says, I have the capacity to assess the value of people. When God and God alone has that capacity, this is what St. Augustine called libido dominandi, the desire for dominance, where we take what is most like ourselves and we rank it the highest. That's what he's talking about. When you take what looks like you, rank it more highly, that is a lust for dominance. And it's not just socioeconomic, it's ethnic, racial, cultural, generational, because in God's image, we are all people who are equal servants of the same king. And where there is ranking, there is no real welcome. You cannot rank people and love one another at the same time. You can rank people or you can love people, but you cannot do both at the same time. That's why he says in chapter, chapter two or chapter two, verse eight, picking up where we left off. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law, 
prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, partiality, you commit sin, you're convicted by the law as transgressors for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For the same one that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. So if you do not commit murder, adultery, but you do murder, you are a lawbreaker. To show partiality is not to love and is thus to break the whole law. Now, those two men three decades ago, they ranked white as superior to black. The fact is those attitudes have not gone away completely. There is white supremacy. There is Christian nationalism that exalts a particular strand of American culture above others. Those are still with us in different ways. But if you're here, I'm assuming that you are not in those categories. If you're here, and yet overt racial supremacy is not the only way that this happens. I want to press into some difficult things here. And I want us to recognize something that Augustine tells us in in one of his commentaries on the Psalms. He cries out to God and he says, there remains within me a lamentable darkness in which my own proclivities lie hidden from me. Our sins don't just keep our mind from seeing the light, they keep our mind from seeing itself. we're, We're complex beings And we are so skilled at hiding sin under things that look good. And we are so adept at at switching things around to make ourselves feel better. And I want tonight for God to tear that back and for us to see some things that maybe we haven't seen. Because you see, there's more than one way to turn a preference into a partiality. One of them is to treat one culture, one ethnicity, one color as superior to others. But another way to do that is to treat one culture, one color, one class as the neutral standard by which all the others are measured. Understand that both of these are very real. But one of those, the second one, can be very invisible to us sometimes, especially if we happen to be the dominant culture by which the standard is set. It becomes very easy for that to happen. But hear this, whenever we make any human culture to be the standard by which all others are measured, we are sowing seeds of partiality and we have become judges with evil hearts. Hear that. Partiality kills hospitality. Not just by saying you need to find a church for people who are like you, but it also does it by the books that we recommend, the preachers that we quote, the pictures we hang in the lobby, the relationships we value, the leaders we look up to. Who are you reading and quoting and admiring that doesn't look like you? Who is at your dinner table who doesn't look like you, who isn't like you, do you realize all the many ways we can be unintentionally sowing seeds of partiality? One of the things that I'm always reminded of, 
what does the very color of this headset microphone imply about who is on the stage and who is in charge? You ever thought about that? That's neutral standard by which we are setting in relation to every other culture. These are seeds of partiality. And we can become caught up in it and not know it's there for the same reason a fish would be the last creature to discover water because it's all that it knows. And I want us to see these things, to understand this, because one of the things that can happen as a result of this is what I call a gentrification of sanctification. And here's what I mean by that. That's a situation where everything that you think makes somebody holy happens to come from white dudes with epic beards. Now I got nothing against white dudes with epic beards. I hope to grow up to be one someday. But my point is, is that God has given us a multi-symphonic orchestra throughout church history with all different colors, all different cultures, all different people. Why would you just listen to one melody line? Listen to more. Let's go with something that Pastor Jarvis talked about last night. He talked about a love supreme. I love that too. Now, the reason a love supreme is so supreme is partly because of all the different textures together. The bass, the vocal on top of that, that rasp of the tenor saxophone, that piano in the background, all those, it sounds beautiful because they're all different from one another. Why would you pull out one part of that and only listen to that? It causes a gentrification of sanctification where everybody that you assume makes you holy looks only like one type of people instead of looking like the multi-ethnic, beautiful, wonderful kingdom of God. And here's the thing. It's not only about inviting other people and other voices to be present. It's also to make sure that they have a real and authentic voice in that. Because I'll tell you something that's easy to do at times. If you're so accustomed to hearing only one set of voices, partiality means that you end up inviting people in from ethnic minorities at times only for the benefit they bring and not because of who they are and who God has made them. That we may not say, you stand over there, but you sit over here, but here's what we will say. You stand over there for the picture on our church website, but don't sit at the table where we actually make decisions. We'll say, you stand over here on the church worship team, but don't you change the way we actually do the music. We want to have all of these, these things that people see, but we don't want anything to change. Let me tell you something. If you do authentic, multi-ethnic ministry, multi-generational ministry, multicultural ministry, multi-socioeconomic ministry, things are going to change. You can't leave it the same way. And it's going to hurt when it changes because you are putting your shoulder up against centuries of oppression that have pressed down and you are choosing to press against it. And that will hurt when you do that. It will hurt when you do that. And you will not be only leaning against the powers of history, you're leaning against the powers of the devil. Because there are things that have happened in history 
of people being enslaved and people being treated in the way they have been treated, even in our own generations, that I can only say that is evil, that is satanic, that is demonic evil. And you're leaning against that. You're putting your shoulder against that and it will hurt you when you do. Understand that if we aren't doing that, have we not become judges with evil hearts? We contribute to the problem. Esau Macaulay, New Testament scholar, says it this way. He says, evil cannot be wholly explained by the brokenness of the world. Sometimes we participate in the breaking. We need to recognize we do. At times, we do. But I don't want to leave us with despair because God's word doesn't leave us with despair. You see, praise be to God, we don't have to muster up the power to do this on our own. Do you realize that? You don't have to pull this power out from within you. Praise be to God. Look at what it says in verses 12 and 13 of this text in James. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by a law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Ah, that is beautiful. He says here, the law of liberty. He calls this earlier the royal law or the kingdom law. In other words, the way of the kingdom. And the way of God's kingdom is not rankings that are based on this world's systems. That's not the world. That's not our, our way. It's mercy and welcome. And where does our mercy come from? We can never be reminded too many times. Our mercy was purchased in blood. Jesus was the oppressed one who came to the assembly of his own people and they received him not. And they didn't merely say, stand over there outside the assembly. No, they said, hang over there outside the city. A righteous man lynched on the cross and God placed him on him, the iniquities of us all for all of our failures. He poured it out on him, the partialities that dehumanize, the racism we don't even know. And that's where our mercy comes from. That's where our mercy comes from. Not good intentions, but a gracious God. But that cross was not the final word because there was triumph in that tomb and he turned the grave into a groove and he checked out a death's hotel alive and well on the third day. And here's the thing, the power, the power that was in that tomb is the power that makes you able to do what needs to be done here. Mercy triumphs over judgment because of the power that was purchased on the cross and shown in the empty tomb. And the power is in you if you're in Christ. We are not without hope. We are people who we have the power in Christ to do this. Mercy triumphs over judgment, not just at the end of time, but right now. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does this hospitality look like? What does this multi-ethnic kingdom culture look like? It's not a percentage of ethnicities. It's not trading one human culture for another. We don't want a brown culture, a black culture, a white culture any more than we want any of them. We want a kingdom culture. And here's what a kingdom culture is going to look like. It's gospel hospitality that it celebrates the beauty 
of every culture, but it also shares the burden of every culture. This is important. It not only celebrates the beauty of every culture, every ethnicity, it shares the burden of every class and color and culture. That's what it looks like. It's not a percentage. It's not a human culture. What it is, is celebrating the beauty and sharing the burden. Now I want us to think about something. Long about in 2014, things began to happen, at least to be known. And a lot of our brothers and sisters in color tried to tell us, this has been this way for a long time. You may just be seeing it now, but it's been there for a long time. And many, not all, but many white evangelicals wanted to celebrate the beauty, but they didn't want to share the burden. They wanted the beauty of multi-ethnic. They wanted the beauty of maybe even diverse music and things like that. They wanted that, but they didn't want to share the burden. And they didn't listen. And then came 2016, and then came 2020, and now we're here. And we've got to be people who don't just celebrate the beauty, but will share the burden. If we try to celebrate the beauty without sharing the burden, the divisions between us get bigger and bigger and bigger. We've got to be willing to share the burden. And if you're not going to be willing to share the burden, don't, don't try to do multi-ethnic. Don't try to step into this if you're not willing to say, I will not just celebrate the beauty of what it looks on the website. I'll share the burden of how it looks when people are broken and hurting over things that have been happening for centuries. We've got to be able to do both. And this would, in my view, be hopeless, utterly hopeless, except for that we have a power within us that can bring a dead man out of the tomb. And if he can bring a dead man out of the tomb, he can work in you so that you can bear the burdens that are around you. And if you understand the power that brought him out of the tomb, you understand that he has empowered you, all of us, to bear one another's burdens. Praise be to God that he has.